sheeted glass between them and us. Story of my life. <clears throat> outside, I could be outside. You mean outside with her? Don't get psychic with me, fella. Nothing psychic about it. You're easy. I'm never gonna get a girl I drive around in a garbage truck. Liz left us, Red. Take the hint. We don't take hints. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I am half of your host, Perry Constantine. And as always, I am the other half, Derek Ferguson. How you doing today, Derek? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Like I said, I was like I had told you before, I'm a little bit tired. I'm doing a lot of running around today, and it's hot as hell here in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Now it's like it got up, it's been like 90 degrees for the last couple of days. Oh God. Yesterday it was ridiculously hot and like i was in the i was in the classroom um yesterday afternoon and there's an air conditioner right behind where i usually at the front of the room where i usually stand and as like the students are working on something like i kind of walk around the room as i walk further from the air conditioner like i i could just feel the heat increasing it was so ridiculously hot yesterday and when i got in my car i just like cranked up the ac and it it was not enough it was just one of those days yeah yeah, I see. I know it's hot when Patricia has the air conditioner going mm-hmm. because she usually she's not an air. Well, neither one of us are really air conditioner people. But as I tell her, you know, you have to run the air conditioner if for no other reason than for the sake of the electronics. Right, right. You know, I said <clears> they <throat> overheat, and the TV shorts out. Then you know we got to get a new TV, which actually did happen to us. Oh shit! Really. Yeah, yeah, this is a few years back, and uh, we have DirecTV. Uh, one of the DirecTV boxes shorted out for the same reason, because of the heat. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I tell her, well, listen, you know, when the weather gets above a certain temperature, you got to run the air conditioner just for the sake of the electronics. Yeah. So they yeah. don't overheat. Yeah, that's a good point. I had never considered that before, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, well, over on um, uh, my part, which something you already know, but I kind of let the, the cat out of the bag this weekend. I'm going to have a, a little sidekick in a few months. <laughs> my uh, my girlfriend, well, fiance actually is uh, is pregnant. So and um, we she's about like two months along now, I think. And uh, so now that things are looking pretty well, the baby's doing well and is safe and everything. We've gone ahead and made the announcements to everybody and, you know, let everybody know so that they can start, you know, giving us gifts and money and whatnot. Absolutely. And like I told you before, because uh, you, of course, had told me, Mm -hmm. you know, but you had asked me to, you know, keep my mouth shut, which amazingly I did, you know, (laughs) but, but once again, allow me publicly to offer my congratulations and God bless you and your fiance and the baby, of course. And I'm looking forward to spoiling the kid long distance. Well, thank you, man. I definitely appreciate that. All right. Now, um, speaking of, uh, of, uh, this is another kind of like fatherhood esque movie in a way, because just like guardians of the galaxy two, um, today we're talking about, uh, Hellboy starring um, the guy we talked about last week briefly, who is, of course, a national treasure. 
Yeah, Ron Perlman. And you know something? It's funny. When I was watching this movie, I thought the same thing. I said, you know something? You could have just very well have picked this movie as a Father's Day. Yeah, yeah. I didn't and, even you know, realize that until after until I was watching. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because that's the theme, really, of this movie. Hellboy is torn between uh, two men mm. who are kind of like his father figures. Right, right. You know, one is the... Uh, Professor Broom, played by John Hurt, mm-hmm. and the and of course Rasputin as well. Right, Rasputin, yeah, who is you know the bad guy, who mm-hmm. is the who is the Rasputin, you know. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's a movie about him, you know, torn between these two father figures who represent the different paths in his life and which path is he going to take. So yeah, when I was watching, I said, "Wow!" I said, "Yeah, you could just as well have easily." have picked this for your Father's Day, uh, you know, movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, I remember when this movie first came out, like I had not, and I think I mentioned this last week as well, but I was not familiar at all with Hellboy from the comic books, but the movie looked looked a lot of fun. So that's why, that's why I went to see it. Um, and I remember coming out, and you mentioned something about this recently, when you were comparing it uh, to Ghostbusters and uh, and Men in Black, and saying that you could see these being in the same universe, and I remember when I was watching it, like especially the first half, like you know, it feels so much like Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, the headquarters of the what is it, the Bureau of the uh, BPRD. Yeah, right. Yeah, it looks a lot like the headquarters of the Men in Black. It does, yeah. It Just looks like, like they could be right down the street. Right. It looks like they could be right down the street from each other. Especially with the way he, you know, he walks in. It's this big empty room, and then the the floor lowers him down. It's exactly like Men in Black. You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. And I was watching, and I got, and I really got that Men in Black. That's a oh wow, and yeah, I could easily see this taking place in the same universe. Yeah as Men in Black and Ghostbusters. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, it's got a very strong Ghostbusters vibe Yeah, as well. So I went to see this movie because I had... Because um, uh, before this, Del Tor- Guillermo del Toro had made Blade 2, which was, hands down, the best of the Blade movies. Oh, and, my God, yes. And he had actually been asked to come back for the third one, but he had the chance to do this instead. And this was like his dream project. He had been campaigning and trying to get this movie made for years, but studios didn't trust him with the, with a, a big budget like that. They didn't want to, you know, superheroes weren't really that big at that point. So, so he had to wait a long time before he could finally. And he also wanted Ron Perlman. Like that was like his. That was like the one thing he wanted guaranteed in in writing. He did not want to because they had thrown like Vin Diesel at him and uh a few other people but he he's like no it's got to be ron perlman yeah and as we have said so many times in the course of doing this podcast uh you and i have both said many times that the success of many of these movies depends so heavily on the casting Mm -hmm. yeah and once again we see that here with hellboy because you know I can. I went to see the reboot, you know, and I actually fell asleep on it because you yeah. know why? You know why? It wasn't Ron Perlman, right? That's what I heard a lot of people say. I heard a lot of people I had heard from had said that um, the guy who plays him, um, 
uh, I'm blanking on his name, but he's the guy from uh, Stranger Things. Yeah, from uh, Stranger Things. They said he was good in it, but like everything else was just terrible. Yeah, yeah. David and, Harbour, that's who it is. Yeah, David Harbour. And, and, and yeah, I like him. I like him. It's just that he wasn't Ron Perlman. It was like, right. you know, um, let me, oh, okay. How can I put this? Uh, Rob Perlman is Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And David Harbour is Roger Moore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the best way that I can put it. Yeah, you know, that, that's it, a good way. Yeah, it's not that he's he's worse than Ron Perlman. It's just that, okay, he's got his own interpretation of the character. Right. And he did the best he could. And everything. the people who made that movie had no idea what they were looking at. But then again, you go back and look at this movie, and once again, I have to thank you because one of the pleasures of doing this podcast with you, as I've said many times, and I don't care if people get sick of me saying it, <laughs> is that I get to revisit movies I haven't watched in a long time. And yeah. it's been a while since I've seen Hellboy. And again, it's one of those things where, yeah, I'm sitting there with my notepad because I'm taking notes. But then after about like 15, 20 minutes, I get to take notes because I'm into the movie. Yeah. I'm paying, yeah, I, okay, the movie's got me. When we get to that scene where... Myers, you know, he meets Hellboy and he's lifting the weights and everything. Like <laughs> that is one of my favorite favorite moments in the movie. That's one of the best introductions of all time. You've got a demon from hell who's actually the beast, as we find out later on, he's the beast of the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And he talks like a character from a 1940s <laughs> Warner Brothers gangster movie. <laughs> it's terrific. It is. Oh, and it's just and also the the little Touches of humanity, like when um, when Agent Clay tells him, he's like, don't stare. He's like, don't stare at what? He's like, his horns. He files them down so he can fit in. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's, you know, this big, buff, red guy. <laughs> yeah. And I love Agent Clay. I love Agent yeah. Clay is one of the unsung heroes of this movie. And, uh, matter of fact, I actually like him better than Myers. I do, too. Yeah. But I, like, well, I understand. Like yeah. Yeah, he is, but I understand why Myers is there because, and he's not apparently not a character from the comics. He was just created for this movie, but he serves as the point of view character, the entry point character for for the audience, which works in a movie like this because, you know, smartly Del Toro did not do an origin story. You know, there's just that brief little in thing thing at the beginning in World War II, but other than that, all the characters are all established. Their relationships are already in place. So having a character like Myers, it works to kind of introduce you to all these different characters and their world and their relationships. Well, yeah, Myers is us. Yeah, yeah. You know, that you know, playing this in Myers is us. He thrown he's thrown into this world mm-hmm. with all these people. And, and like you said, one of the best things about this movie is that everybody knows everybody already. Yeah. You know, Myers is the only one that doesn't know everybody. But we can see that these people have a like we got the scene that's in the garbage truck when Hellboy and Abe Sapien mm-hmm. are going to the museum and they're having a little bit of dialogue. And from the dialogue, yeah, these are guys that have worked together for. And it's really remarkable that, yeah, you know, one's a demon, one's an amph- a man amphibian, mm-hmm. but they're regular working class guys. They you know? are, yeah. They're talking like, you know, well, this is the job, we're on the job, and blah, 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 and they're going back and forth. And, you know, it's an easy give and take, you know, between them. And it's humorous and jarring at the same time mm-hmm. to see such outlandish characters speaking in such a down-to-earth manner. 
And it's also we also got to mention, um, you know, Abe Sapien and the performances that went into him. Because first, you know, there was Doug Jones who was in the makeup and he did all the physical performances, uh, which were, you know, I mean, Doug, like the go-to guy in Hollywood, if you want someone who's going to be in a lot of makeup and moving around, is Doug Jones because he's so good with body language. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who are fans of, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Star Trek uh, Discovery, Doug Jones is on that. If you've never seen Hellboy and you want to see an early performance of Doug Jones, I can think of no better example than this movie. Yeah. Because he's absolutely phenomenal in this. And, of course, he was also in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. He was the 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 fawn and the, the pale man. He was also the amphibian man in The Shape of Water. So, yeah. Well, he, he's and, been... Well, oh, yeah. And, of course, The Silver Surfer. In, yeah. Uh, well, he's The Silver Surfer. Well, he's been in every one of uh, Del Toro's movies. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's like his go-to guy. When he, you know, he's doing a new movie, he calls up Doug Jones and says, okay, well, you got to be in it. Yeah. And, like, he'll create a role just for Doug Jones to do. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of um, um, Pan's Labyrinth, two roles. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the guy is fantastic. And I should mention a real stand-up guy. Uh, David Hyde Pierce. Mm -hmm. I was about to Frazier. mention Yeah. Yeah, who did the voice. But he refused to be credited, and he didn't do any publicity for the movie. And, he, you know, he just let Doug Jones take all the credit, which yeah. I said, which says to me a lot about the guy. I said, you know what? That's man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that was really classy for him, um, which was um, – I was a little – uh, taken aback when in the in the sequel in Hellboy Two, um, Doug Jones does Abe Sapien completely himself. David Hyde Pierce doesn't come back to do the the voice in Hellboy Two, which was a little surprising for me because I because I do think you know I you know I respect Pierce for his decision to not have his name because he wanted all the credit to go to Jones, but still like Pierce it does a really great job uh, doing the voice acting in this movie too. Yes, he does. He gives Abe Sapien a. Total pro I mean, between the body language and the voice, mm -hmm. he's got a complete personality. This is a highly intelligent, per you know, person that we deal And he is a person. Yeah. He is. Yeah, yeah, okay, he looks like a fish, but he's a person. He's highly intelligent, as we see, uh, that he does the research for Hellboy when they're mm -hmm. out in the field, you know, fighting these monsters or whatever. Yeah. And we see that, uh, you know, Professor Broom, he treats him as an equal. Right. You know, he doesn't look at him as, you know, like a monster. Well, yeah, there's that there's that scene where um, uh, Manning, who's, you know, played hilariously by Jeffrey Tambor, um, and he says, uh, you know, Abe is investigating the crime scene, and Manning's like, hey, fish stick, don't touch that. And, you know... <laughs> And then, but you know, Professor Broom's like, you know, he's treating him like an equal. He's like, "Well, show me what you what you got." Yeah, right. Yeah, and he has like no hesitation around him or anything like that. Yeah, I love that scene where mm -hmm. you know, and like he shows him the vision because he does have some kind of limited psychic powers. And right. He like he shows him the stuff that happened in the museum where the bad guys came and they killed all all of the guards and they cut open a statue and. Mm -hmm. They took out, you know, which is uh, the, what? what is it? The salt from the tears of a thousand angels, which is a great yeah. line. Yeah. yeah, and then it brings up the, the and it resurrects Samael. Um, yeah. 
but I also love that, like what you were saying about their their back and forth between Hellboy and Abe. I love that scene where he's about to jump in the sh- in the sewer, and Abe's like, "Remind me why I do this again." And Hellboy's like, "Rotten eggs and the safety of mankind." Yeah, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's very, you know, it's very casual. It's very, you know, it's kind of ironic mm-hmm. because you know they recognize that here they are, they're basically monsters protecting mankind from other monsters. Yeah, yeah, and there's but also like that. I said, well, it's also that scene when they're in the garbage truck and Hellboy's like, he's like, he's like, I drive around a garbage truck. How am I supposed to meet a girl? Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, the guy talks like somebody from a 1940s Warner Brothers gangster movie. Mm. And I love the fact that, well, he's not a master martial artist. He he fights like a WWE wrestler. Well, also, it, he's a, he even says himself, like, you know, I'm, I'm not a good shot with these. That's why he needs such a big gun with such big bullets. Yeah. He says, I can't. Yeah. He says, I'm not a great shot. He yeah. said, he said, but with a gun this big, he said, I don't need to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's and then um, also just like how well then he takes out Samael, right? And then he's like, all right, well that's it. It's just like it's like another day at the office for him, right? He's just kind of yeah. like really chill about the whole thing. And afterwards, uh, Abe says, no wait, you want to listen to this spirit of resurrection or something like that? And, and Hellboy's just like, oh fuck. Yeah, he says, oh crap. You know, which he said, which he says a lot in this movie. Usually, when shit goes wrong, he just turns around and says, "Ah, oh, crap!" He says, oh, "Resurrection." Okay, <laughs> but I also like the fact that Hellboy himself has a considerable amount of occult knowledge, mm-hmm. as we see when he's describing various things and and he's got various mystical artifacts. Right, because because when Abe goes into the sewer, he gives him one. Right, he says, and he, yeah, this is the finger bone of Saint, you know, somebody right. here, and he wraps it, and Abe wraps it around his wrist. Mm-hmm. And he also, um, he also makes those bullets himself, which have like all the different the works he calls it, which has all these different things in it to ward off um, occult forces. Yeah, because before he goes into the museum, two of the agents they've got this big case and they mm-hmm. open it up, and he's got like all of his weapons in there and everything like that. So he takes out like speed loader. Right. So, and, you know, and he and he shows it to Myers and he says, yeah, he says, it's got, he said, oh, this got, he said, this is loaded with everything. It's got holy water, silver shavings, you mm-hmm. know, white oak. And I, I said, damn, well, I don't know what all that means, but I'll take your word for it that it's going to do the job. <laughs> you know, something else I like to, going back to, to Myers, is the fact that there's not the typical antagonistic relationship between the two of them. Right, like you usually see in a movie like this. Like it's not they don't hate each other. You know, Myers is genuinely trying to help him out. And um and Hellboy is just, you know, he get he gets a little hot under the collar sometimes, but he, you can see like there are moments when it shows like he does have some respect for for the guy. Well, he doesn't know him. Right. Yeah. You know, he doesn't know. That's all it is. He doesn't know him because the there are moments when he helps them out, like when they're chasing the monster mm-hmm. and uh, Myers gets caught in the street and the car is about to hit him. And right. Hellboy just brings down that honking, huge stone hand, mm-hmm. you know, and he takes a minute before he goes chasing after Sam Hain to make sure that Myers is all right. He said, you okay? Yeah. Said, you all right? So, you know, I agree with you 100%. It's not, it's not that it's antagonistic. It's just that he doesn't know him. Right, yeah, and, it, and you can see like their their relationships start evolving over the course of the movie. Like when he's writing the the love letter to Liz, and he's asking for Meyer's opinion, 
And he's like, yeah. he's like, what's a good word? A, so, a solid word for need. And he's like, well, needs a good solid word. He's like, nah, it's too needy. Yeah, nah, that's too needy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ron Perlman, part of the reason why this movie is so enjoyable is because we see Ron Perlman is having a good time. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, it couldn't have been easy because this is one of the most astonishing makeup jobs I have ever seen in any movie. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, we have scenes where, you know, he has no shirt on and we can see the extent of the prosthetics that he's mm -hmm. wearing. Yeah. And it's just amazing that, and Ron Perlman is such a good actor that he gives a wonderful performance that enhances this makeup. Yeah. He, work, he works with it. He doesn't work again. He, you know, I don't know. If I was going to be an actor that had to work with prosthetics and makeup and stuff like that, I would watch this and I would watch Tim Curry in Legends mm, to yeah. see how to work with a whole bunch of prosthetics. Because, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing performance. Well, Perlman and, has a lot of experience because he, you know, he did like what? Beauty and the Beast was on the air for like, what, three years or something like that? Yeah, and you know what? As much as I've heard about this show, I'm would you believe I've never seen an episode of this, Beauty and the Beast. I watched it as a kid, but I've like I said, but that was a long time ago. So my I do I have very vague memories. Like I did not recognize Ron Perlman at first, and then I found out later that he was also in Beauty and the Beast. Like, oh yeah, I remember him now. But that was the show where, you know, Ron Perlman, where everybody says, okay, well, that's when Ron Perlman became Ron Perlman. Right, you know, exactly. Because everybody, I mean, especially women, because apparently this was a show that women stayed home on Friday nights to watch. Mm -hmm. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. Yeah, I remember watching that as a kid, and um, and apparently, and it's still, like, really, um, really popular, because when, uh, I think it was, like, the CW remade it a few years ago, people got really angry. Yeah. And Linda Hamilton was in that one too, right? Linda yeah. Hamilton? yeah. Yeah. She played okay. uh she played the the cop in the movie. Yeah. Um I actually wonder I I'm I'm curious about watching this now and going back and seeing it, but um cuz I have I haven't seen it since back since it was on TV back in the 80s, so. <clears throat> cuz see, I knew Rob Perlman from movies. I knew him from uh what was it quest for fire mm -hmm. uh the name of the rose oh he was in the name of the rose yeah where he still worked with prosthetics and stuff like that and extensive makeup mm -hmm. and stuff like that so you know that's mainly where i knew him from i didn't know him from you know tv series and stuff like that mm -hmm. i had it was funny when i when i finally saw him in um uh, Sons of Anarchy. That was the first time I'd seen him without any prosthetics or anything, so I didn't even recognize him at first until oh, he started that speaking. Was, that was a magnificent TV. I love that show. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, it it got really um, over the top. It was like very Shakespeare. It was like Shakespeare on motorcycles, basically. Well, that's what it was. Basically, yeah. uh, even the creator of the series said it was Macbeth on motorcycles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but but yeah, you're right. He was amazing in that show. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's one of he's one of my favorite actors, and he's one of my favorite people. Period. Because oh yeah, because the guy has got zero bullshit with his game. He's got zero bullshit, and also he's a really stand up guy. Like that makeup, that Hellboy makeup took like four hours to apply, and um, when some kid had uh, said for the uh, there was this kid with leukemia a few years ago, and he wanted to meet Hellboy, so Ron Perlman 
went through the four hour makeup job again, just to go and hang out with this kid for a few hours. Well, you know what? Ron Perlman is a guy that in interviews, I've never been fortunate enough to meet him. Mm-hmm. And I hope I do one day, but yeah. in all the interviews that I've seen him with, he's a guy that has struck me as that he realizes that he's lucky to be doing the shit he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is not some divine calling, anything like that. He gets paid an awful lot of money to basically play dress up. Right. You know, and he, and he lives his life, you know, uh, no, he reminds me a lot of Keanu Reeves because Keanu Reeves strikes me as being the same way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, you, I mean, listen, uh, you know, Keanu Reeves strikes me. Listen, I get to go play dress up. Uh, I mean, you know, and I get paid an awful lot of money for it. Yeah. And in and again, and both of them, you know, that that works. Um, they, that comes through in their performances too, because you can yeah. tell both of them really enjoy what they're doing. Like even when Keanu Reeves was like at the the top of his the height of his fame and everything like that, you still never felt that he had um, that he had gotten too big for himself. Like his 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 he hadn't gotten like too arrogant or anything like that. Well, I've never seen him on, but I know people who claim that they have seen him riding, you know, the subway. Yeah, they've been on the New York subway, and they and it was Keanu Reeves. He was on the subway with no bodyguards, no entourage, none of that crap, anything like that. It was just him riding the subway. Well, apparently he, um, and he's, he's someone who like, despite all his money, like he doesn't live like an extravagant lifestyle. He lives like a pretty simple lifestyle. for the moment. Yeah. 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 And he's, apparently like he gave like a ton of his money to, I think it was his sister, this charity or something that his sister was running or, or was connected to working for or something like that. I'd read something a few years back about this. But, but yeah, I mean, and, um, you know, also I got to talk about uh, John Hurt as well, because I remember I had read the comics afterwards, and it is amazing how much he looks just like he stepped out of the page of the comic book. Well, yeah, the thing about this movie and what I love about it, and you and I know you hear all the time about people say, oh, this looks exactly like a comic book movie. Mm. Hellboy actually does. There's a lot of shots in here that do look like panels from a graphic novel. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I was one of those, I was like you, I didn't know anything about Hellboy prior to seeing this. And afterwards I went and read it and I looked at John Hurt and I said, yeah, well, obviously somebody, probably Del Toro, because Mm -hmm. when it comes to detail, and uh, the visual look of his movies. Because this guy, you know, when it comes to visuals, he is a madman. Yeah. That's all I can say. It's incredible. But I'd be willing to bet that he pointed at the comic book and said, listen, John Hurt, he's got to look like this. <laughs> and, you know, John Hurt, it, I mean, it's always awesome. To, plus, it, it is kind of funny when we compare this, because here he's this... Um, <clears throat> you know, this, this kindly old, old scientist in this movie. And then you compare it to V for Vendetta, which came out around the same time. And he plays like a straight up, you know, supervillain in that movie. Yeah. And it's just great to see, like, he's got such, he's, he was such an amazing talent. Oh yeah. John Hurt. I mean, this was a guy that he was one of them people that if he was in it, even if the movie is crap, you know, he was going to be good. Yeah. 
it did, you know, it didn't matter. You know, the only thing that cracked me up about John Hurt is that I've seen movies of him back in the seventies, and apparently he always looked like a middle-aged man. He did. I mean, I remember him Even from when he was young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that was uh, back in uh, back in Alien. Like he didn't. He looks almost very. Looks like he hasn't aged that much since that time. Oh my God! Yeah. Even when the guy was in, I mean, like he was in his twenties, and he looked like a middle. He looked like a middle-aged man. <laughs> and then we got um uh Carl Roden as um as Rasputin, who I've never heard of this guy's name before, but he's apparently been in a ton of stuff. Looking at his uh, IMDb page, and he was apparently in uh, Blade Two as well. Really? Okay. Yeah, he played uh Conan. I can't remember who he was and who that was. Um, but but yeah, he, but was, he in, was a good. He was, he was great. Good, yeah, he was a good villain in this one. <laughs> excuse me and this is a movie that <clears throat> i always excuse me i always recommend to people <clears throat> because with this use of rasputin and world war ii mm. and the occult influence that hitler had in world war ii this is one of the most pulpy movies well, also the the use of the of. the Lovecraftian stuff too, like the, yeah, love, right, yeah. I mean, they've got all this stuff. It's science fiction. It's Lovecraft. Mm. It's it's you know uh, World War Two. It's Nazis. It's got it's got a ton of stuff that's in this movie that makes it more pulp than a lot of stuff that claims it's pulp. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like that's one of the things I was I noticed as I was watching it is that and something I you realize if you look through like. Mignolia's, uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, but his his Hellboy run too, like in the comic books, he introduced tons of he introduces a ton of different characters. And if you read through the characters and you look through like their images and stuff like that, they're they've got much more in pop in common with like the old pulp heroes than they do with uh, modern day superheroes. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the characters, Lobster Johnson. Mm-hmm has been in his own series of novels and, you know, comic books and graphic novels or whatever. And yeah. he's, and he's most definitely in the mold of the pulp heroes from the 1930s. Right. And, you know, that's my understanding, but yeah, you know, I'm watching this and yeah. Okay. Hellboy is a superhero movie, but it actually has more in common with the pulps than it does with what we would consider nowadays to be a superhero movie. And I'm talking about, you know, the DC movies and then, you know, the MCU, you know, mm -hmm. those movies, yeah, that's solidly superheroes. This to me has more in common with, I would put this like movies like, okay, like The Rocketeer. Absolutely, and yeah. The Phantom and The mm -hmm. Shadow and stuff like that. Yeah, it's more in that realm of pulp influence stuff. Right, and which kind of makes you surprised that, um we haven't seen more pulp movies after the success of this because this showed that, you know, you can make these movies um, for a modern day audience. Well, you know what? Okay. Here's where we get it. <laughs> okay. See, it's hard to explain to people what pulp is. Mm -hmm. I always like to tell people when they ask me, okay, well, Derek, what's pulp? I said, well, I'm like that judge, I can't think of his name right now, but he's a pretty famous judge that ruled on a famous case involving pornography. Right, yeah, and yeah. He's reputed to have said, listen, 
I don't know what pornography is, but when I see it, I know what it is. Yeah. Well, I'm the same way with Paul. I can't tell you what it is, but if I see it, I can tell you, okay, yeah, that's Paul. And see, when you try to describe it to people, they say, oh, well, that's action adventure. Right. It, it, it was it, uh, Potter Stewart. That was his name. Okay. And you say, yeah, well, yeah, it's action adventure, but it's also this and it's also that. And they say, oh, well, you're describing mysteries. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, it's mysteries. So, yeah, you get into that thing where you can't really describe to people what, like, I can, like, I can point to examples. Like, right. I can tell them, okay, you've seen the Wild Wild West, the mm -hmm. TV show, not the movie. And they say, yeah. I say, okay, well, that's steampunk. That was steampunk before they knew what steampunk was. Right. And it's also pulp. Well, what makes it pulp? And then I go and describe the various elements that make it pulp. And as I'm doing so, you know what happens? I can see their eyes glazing over. Mm -hmm. right. So that's the problem that you have in describing what is pulp to people because then they always say, and then you have so many other genres that have taken the various things that make pulp pulp. And okay, like, oh boy. Okay. Superman, mm -hmm. Fortress of Solitude. Well, he took that from Doc Savage. Right. Now, if you do a Doc Savage movie now and you have the Fortress of Solitude, what are people going to say? Oh, well, he stole that from Superman. Right. Not right. knowing that it's the exact opposite way around. But now you got to go through a whole thing where you explain that to people. And people don't want you to explain that to them. They just well, want to watch the movie. It was the same thing with, um, uh, what was that movie? Uh, John Carter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everyone, remember, everyone was saying that uh, John Carter, um, oh, that's, they're ripping off Star Wars, they're ripping off um, Avatar, they're ripping off all this other stuff. It's like, well, no, John Carter started those things. Star Wars I, ripped it off from them. I actually, when I saw John Carter in theaters, I was standing in the lobby waiting for Patricia. She went to the bathroom, and I'm standing, and I'm listening to people coming out. And yet, I actually heard these nerds or geeks or whatever mm -hmm. and they were standing there listening to all the things oh well it was ripped off of this and it ripped off that and it ripped off that and, that and i wanted to go over there and bang their heads together and say listen if you knew anything about what you're talking about you mm -hmm. would know everything you named took everything from john carter right that's where it started he's the great grandfather of everything that you just named that he that he you claim he ripped off exactly so yeah it's See, that's the thing about Pulp. There's so much that was taken from these characters and used in other genres and diluted that now it seems like they're the imitations and not the originators. Right. So that was my little dissertation on Pulp for <laughs> <laughs> another dissertation. Okay. But, but no, yeah, but it's, but but it's what, a good dissertation. That's why we come here to listen to you. Yeah, but that's what it is. You know, when you try to describe Pope to people, it's kind of difficult to to describe it because then they say, okay, well, what you're describing is this. It, right. It's hard, or it's action adventure or is this or that. And, and yeah, well, Pope is all of those things. Mm -hmm. you know, it can be all of those things, you know, like weird Westerns. Well, what are weird Westerns? Weird Westerns, yeah, they're Pope because they incorporate stuff from science fiction or fantasy or horror into right. a traditional Western setting. But, you know, yeah, like I said, when you try to describe the people and you can see their eyes are starting to glaze over, they don't want to hear all of that nonsense. Right, right. <laughs>
And, uh, you know, going back to, uh, you know, talking about the World War II stuff, I did like the little history lesson he gives Myers at the beginning, because some of that is rooted in actual history. Like Hitler was a member of the Thule Society. They were like this German occult organization, although mostly it was just like a bunch of bored rich people. Um, Oh, yeah. Like a a lot of secret societies really were back in those days. But in the Thule Society, that's something that has come up again and again in a lot of pulp stuff. I used it in one of my books myself. Um, I use it in my, um, one of my, I think it was the fourth Myth Hunter novel I used in Thule Society. And, um, but then I love when he says, like, and the, the occult wars come to an end in 1958 with the death of Adolf Hitler. He's like, you mean 1945? Hitler died in 1945. He's like, oh, did he? <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I love that. He's like, well, okay, well, you know what? If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Professor Brew just kind of like looks at him and he laughs. Yeah, okay, well, if you say so. <laughs> Hey, he's got a little smirk on his face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think that that's why World War II is a fascinating war because as far as I know, we've never had any other war that had so much to do with um, all of these fantastical elements mm-hmm. such as Ultima Thule and Vril Energy and the you know the spirit destiny and oh yeah all of this occult stuff that hitler brought into there you know there's never been any other war we've been in that had you know those elements which i think is why it's still so fascinating Mm -hmm. on so many elements you know because you can always delve into i mean the raiders of the lost ark it went into the thing because hitler was looking for the ark of the covenant Mm -hmm. so you've got all these fantastical elements that you can exploit, you know, when it comes to, you know, doing this kind of fiction. Right. And, um, and, and well, not only that, but you've also got, you know, the Nazis make the perfect villains, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you, but then you can also have other stuff because there are so many like secret societies and stuff mixed up. Like you had like the Thule society in Germany, you had like the black dragon society in, um, in Japan. Um, so all these different elements come together and it's, and it's this era where there's some technology, but it's not too modern. So yeah, it, it is like the perfect era for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I mean, like Nazis are like the all purpose of villains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say, oh, well, I, okay. We need villains. Okay. Nazis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I remember what was it back in the seventies? It was like really like a whole subgenre of thriller movies about, um, uh, you know, like these old Nazis that were coming out of hiding that were going to start up the Third Reich again. Right. Well, it was like also also like the because I think that was the time when there was a lot of uh, prosecution of Nazis who had escaped. Yeah. So like, you know, Israel was going after a lot, of, was tracking down a lot of these war criminals who had fled to like South America and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you had movies like The Boy from Brazil, you know, mm-hmm. Marathon Man, you know, yeah. among other, which was like. I mean, you know, like I said, it was like uh, almost a subgenre for a while there of movies about, you know, Nazis in hiding and people, you know, looking for Nazis in hiding and they were someplace in Argentina planning the Third Reich. And, right. Well, also, know, I think, I wonder if some of that also has something to do with the fact that the Cold War in the 70s was kind of like on a, it, it kind of cooled down a little bit. Like it wasn't as big of a focus in everybody's minds. Well, and you know, something less. You know, the Cold War wasn't as romantic. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. The Cold War was like um, 
what's the okay the best movie i can recommend uh about the cold war is of course with richard burton spy who came in from the cold mm -hmm. that's basically what the cold war was it was a bunch of miserable bastards doing you know jobs they didn't want to do they didn't really right. i and actually they didn't really believe in what they were doing mm -hmm. you know they were just doing it mainly because these were their jobs they didn't necessarily feel patriotic about what they were doing. It was a game that they were playing. Right. You know, that had been going on. So, but however, the Nazis, whether we want to admit it or not, it, it's got a certain mysticism, mm -hmm. a certain glamour about it. You say, okay, Nazis, and it conjures up all kinds of images in your head. And then when you delve into the history, like you said, with the occult angle, mm -hmm. it takes on a whole new different thing where you right. can say, okay, well, maybe they were trying to open portals to other dimensions. And, yeah. And they were trying to contact Lovecraftian elder gods and stuff mm -hmm. like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. Um, what else do I want to mention about this movie? Um, oh, you know what? I love uh, Cronin, the, the, the silent assassin type. Like that, oh. that Ladislav Baran played him. And he, that he's just, that, like talking about body language, like that is, that guy is amazing in his, in his body language performance because he never says a single word in that whole movie. I love him because he's like something that they, like a Nazi that they brought in from a Kung Fu movie. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, because <laughs> he's got the blades and he's got the martial arts and everything like that. And you say, oh my God, this guy's Donnie Yen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> this isn't a Nazi. It's Donnie Yen. You know, he's he's dicing and slicing guys with the blades and everything like that. Oh my god! And as you said, he never says a single word, but we understand everything he's doing in the movie and why he's doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like when he pretends he's dead. Okay, you know why he's doing it, right? Right. And um, but yeah, he he's he was great in it, and then um. Just going back to Ron Perlman's performance, like the little, the little, I love the little touches they give to show that he's, he's got this, he's, he's, he's got this humanity about him, but he's also still kind of a, he's also still kind of an out, like the whole, like how much he eats, right? They're bringing in like these bowls full of chili for him and they got like all these pancakes and these like buckets full of bacon. And then, and Myers even says at one point, he's like, oh, you got nachos coming soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I always figured that that's like a clue that his metabolism burns up so much energy. Right. That he had, he simply has a consume a whole lot, much like the flash. Right. Yeah. Because we established, because they, DC established years ago that the flash has to consume a tremendous amount of carbohydrates mm -hmm. simply because he's burning up a whole lot of stuff by running. Right. Yeah. I liked how they addressed that in the, in the TV show as well. Where they had to, they can't, they had to create like these like high protein bars or something for him to eat so that he doesn't have to always like, you know, he doesn't have to go broke feeding himself. You're right, exactly. So I guess the Hellboy is the same way, simply because his metabolism mm -hmm. is burning up a lot of energy. He has to eat a lot if for no other reason than just to maintain his energy levels. Mm -hmm. And I also love the uh, the fact that he's got all these cats. And just like like the and the cats sort of just like naturally gravitate to him. Now, okay, in the comic book, didn't they change that? Because in the comic book, didn't he eat cats? Um, I don't know. Okay, I seem to remember something about him eating cats, and but 
Yeah, but here they just put that cats just for some reason cats just like him. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking it up now. There's someone someone asked this question on on Cora. I think you're thinking about someone else with the eating. Yeah, um, I'm probably thinking about some. I think I'm probably uh, I'm probably thinking about Alf. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so he has an affinity for cats in in both the movies and the comics. Okay. Um, and because what happened was when apparently there, there was a story in the comic when Hellboy was a young kid. Um, and you know, most other people didn't like him. They, they stayed away from him, but this one cat, you know, showed him affection and didn't shy away from him and anything like that. So after that, he had, um, he had, uh, developed an affinity for cats apparently. Cause they have that great fight that's in the subway mm-hmm. and there's a box of cats that he rescues and he protects during, you know, while he's fighting off, you know, the monster. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a nice touching little moment when he gives the box of cats back to the woman. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and he's like, and he like strokes it, and I think with his rock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you said, nice little moments that humanize, mm-hmm. you know, the character and say, yeah, well, you know what? Anybody likes cats, you know. Right. He's got to yeah. be okay. Yeah. And um, uh, well, there is also the mystic connection there, too, because cats, you know, long been considered to have connections with the occult and everything like that they're back in ancient egypt they were worshipped as like deities so so yeah there's a lot of like yeah. occult stuff that ties into cats as well yeah i picked up on that too that yeah cats are supposed to have like this connection to the occult so it says something that they like them and they want to be around them. right yeah yeah and um but i just love like how how petty he gets too like when he's um when he's following them and uh the little kid comes up to him and he's and he's saying like no i'm on a mission he's like and he's like and he's like you know what trying to he's like throwing stuff at myers from from far away and the kid is giving him advice on how to be a mature adult it's a nice little yeah you know what it's a nice little thing to remind us because they there is an exchange where uh professor broom is saying yeah okay even though he's been around since World War II and he's like almost 60 years old. Mm. Actually, he's an adolescent. Right. You know, they have that kind of thing that, you know, he doesn't age the same, well, of course, because he's a demon. He doesn't age the same way that we do. And even though he's been around, you know, all of these years, he's not that old in terms of being a demon. He's an adolescent, which when you hear the explanation, it explains why he does some of the things that he does. Yeah. Well, there's that line when um, when Clay tells um, tells John, you know, it, you know, he, you know, think of it as like reverse dog years. Yeah. Yeah. So when he gets into that little jealous fit, and also, like you said, that's a good scene with that kid because he relates to the kid more. He does with the adults. Yeah. In this yeah. movie, he has more of a rapport with this kid, you know, and you know, him and the kid are talking. Like you said, the kid is giving him advice, and mm-hmm. he's taking it. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, the adult, whereas the adults give him advice, he, you know, and he acts like a kid. Yeah. Yeah. He's always yeah. like petulant about it and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a good point, you mm-hmm. know, to make about the character. Like I said, it explains a lot about why he acts the way he does mm-hmm. and what he, you know. And, uh, and Jeffrey Tambor, and, and this is the first thing I actually saw Jeffrey Tambor in. I saw this before Arrested Development. Um, um, but he, he's, I love that that his first appearance was on the talk show, and he says something that 
I've always wondered my my whole life too. When he's when they're showing him the picture of Hel the blurry picture of Hellboy, he's like, how come in all these pictures of these supernatural things and these occult things and you know UFOs and Bigfoot and all that, how come they're always so blurry? How come none of these guys know how to focus a camera? Uh, thank you. And have you noticed that in the era of cell phones now, mm -hmm. now that we have cell phones that take perfectly clear pictures. How is it nobody's ever taken a picture of a UFO now? Yeah, yeah. You don't see that anymore. You don't see pictures of Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. You don't see pictures of the Loch Ness Monster. And right. You would think that somebody would have got a picture by now of, you know, the Chupacabra or, you know, whatever. Because right. we've got phones now <clears throat> that take perfectly clear picture. Mm -hmm. yeah. You don't see none of that. Yeah. You yeah. don't see. Jeffrey Tambor is great in this. I, he is. I like how their relationship develops especially after um professor broom gets killed mm. and and um manning actually has to go out on a mission with hellboy mm -hmm. and they kind of reach a kind of understanding through the course of that mission yeah whereas you know it's not friendship exactly but they've learned to respect each other right right there's that great scene when hellboy's lighting a cigar and manning's like what are you doing you don't light a cigar like that use a wood match yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is actually something that I've heard from people who smoke cigars. They don't. They actually don't like their cigars with a lighter. They light it with a wooden match. Yeah, I've heard that from people. Yeah, I, I've heard. That, I heard. I ended up. I ended up looking that up afterwards, and yeah, it turned out to be true. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Never even thought about that. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, I have wait. a friend lives on Eastern Parkway in Brooklyn, and he actually has a cigar room where he goes and he smokes cigars. Oh, nice. And he's got like a humidor and stuff like mm. that. And it, it's like a whole ritual this cat has got, you know. <laughs> you know, I went there one time, you know, mainly because he's got good booze. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and he's explaining to me the whole psychology of smoking cigarettes, mm. smoking cigars. So, yeah, but yeah, apparently that is an actual, you know, thing. But yeah, during the course of that mission, they come to an understanding. You know, you know what, which I appreciated that they didn't instantly become friends. Right. But they but they came to an understanding about uh, their positions in the organization. Right. Well, there's also that um, uh, I think it was in the second movie where they, you see them. They're still they're still got there's still some antagonism, even in the second movie. So they're they don't completely come to terms. Yeah. Well, there's always going to be antagonism. Right between them, but at least they understand each other's position in the organization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You and know, there was that, um, I think there was, I think it was in, it was in the sequel where um, he's complaining about Hellboy getting caught on video and he says in YouTube and he's like, I hate YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, now that I've seen this one, now I said, you know what, now I got to go watch, you know, and I could have sworn, I was tearing up my house looking because I could have sworn I had a DVD here someplace that had both Hellboy and the sequel on, you know, the same DVD. And I couldn't find oh, okay. anything to save my life. I don't know what happened. Fortunately, it was on demand. So mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, just download it from DirecTV. Okay. That's and watch Hellboy in there. So I'm pretty sure they got like the Golden Army. Okay, I want to yeah. see I want to see that because it's been a long time since I've seen that too. Well the cool thing about the Golden Army is that after this movie came out, uh Mignola gave Del Toro, his Del Toro, his you know full permission to go ahead and do his own original story for Hellboy too. 
So that's mm. why Hellboy 2 feels like even more of a, a Del Toro movie because they use a lot more of like fantasy and that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, the main bad guy in there, I looked at him and I said, oh, my God, Elric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, Michael Moorcock, you know, from now I said, oh, my God, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot more fantasy elements. Which I kind of, which I understand why he did that, because I know that's Del Toro's wheelhouse, and it was great. Like, don't get me wrong, I love that movie. But I also was a little disappointed, because I do love the very pulpy feel of this first movie. And I felt like some of that was a little bit watered down in the second. Yeah, the second one is more like, uh, uh, especially with, you know, like I said, the main bad guy looking like, uh, you know, Michael Moorcock's mm-hmm. character. That's what the whole thing of the Golden Army, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like a Michael Moorcock right. sword and sorcery story set on Earth. With some steampunk mixed in as well. Right, with steampunk, right. Rather than a full, flat-out, 100% pulp story, mm-hmm. which is what this one is. Yeah. This one is way more pulp than, you know, the second one, which is more fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, I agree. Yeah, and and you know nothing to not knocking that movie in any way. It is still a really good movie. But oh no, I, I love that movie. Yeah, 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 I love the Golden Army. But yeah. I prefer this one for the like that pulpier feel feel it's got. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, if you gave me a choice to say, well, there's only one Hellboy movie you could watch for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. This it, it it would be this one. Yeah, definitely. Even though I do like the second, don't get me wrong, I like the second one, but I think I love this one. Yeah, although I will say that, and I did like um, Selma Blair's haircut in the second one a lot more than in this one. Oh, yeah, she's got terrible hair in this one. And this is the movie, I must say, where I fell in love with Selma Blair. I had mm-hmm. never seen her before in anything. This was the first thing I saw her in, and I said, yes, I must have that woman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember what else I would because I had seen her around in a bunch of stuff before that, <clears throat> but I'm like blanking on stuff. Um, the only reason I watched because she was on uh, Anger Management. Oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was. Yeah, the Charlie Sheen uh, TV series. Oh, and never mind. Reason... Okay, I thought you were talking about something else. No, um, no, no. I'm talking about the TV series, uh, Charlie Sheen. That was the TV series he did after he recovered from his meltdown. Mm-hmm. And uh, Selma Blair was in that one, with, along with Shawnee Smith. Uh-huh who will start in the remake of The Thing. Oh, okay. Those, those two women were the only reason why I watched that show. I was not watching it for Charlie Sheen, trust me. Oh, you know what? I think I'd only really known her from... She was in Cruel Intentions. She was uh, one okay. of the main characters in Cruel Intentions. And I think that's the only thing I'd seen her in before. Which is surprising, because I'm looking at her credits now, and there's some... And I have not seen her in a lot in a lot of stuff, but I feel like I've seen her in a lot of things. And she's been in a lot of stuff. She has, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, weird. Um, but, but yeah, like but, this was a, yeah, but this is like the first thing I saw her in. And when I saw her, I said, Yeah, okay, she's got a career. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, she's really good in this. I love like how she does have this kind of this, you know, seen it all attitude towards everything. Yeah. She's like very low nothing, key. Nothing surprises her. She's like when very she comes, low. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. Go ahead. You're gonna uh, make a good point, I think. I was gonna say like that that scene when um, Myers brings her back for the first time, and you know, and and Broom's like, oh well, you know, we've made some changes around here, and then Hellboy comes crashing through the wall. 
And yeah. then and Liz just kind of like rolls her eyes, she's like, nope, nothing's changed. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like nothing phases her, yeah. really. You know, she's seen it all. You know, she's been through a lot, as mm-hmm. she explains when she's describing her background. And we see there's one point where Myers, he's going through the files, and he looks at the files when she was younger, and she's describing her, because uh, she's got like this, um, you know, this pyrokinetic. Right. Yeah, uh, and, you know, she's describing it, and this kind of uh, a weary resignation to her fate. Mm-hmm. You know, she says, okay, well, this is it. This is who I am. This is what I'm always going to be. Nothing's ever going to change. And ironically enough, it's Hellboy who is offering her change. He's saying, yeah, okay, this is what you're going to be, but that's not all you have to be. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not the thing that defines you. And he's trying to tell her, listen, I'm a demon, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm trying to be something else too. Mm-hmm. And I, and incredibly enough, which is why even, even though I don't like the Myers character all that much, Professor Broom apparently was a wise old man because Myers is the one that provides the bridge between those two characters. Right, yeah. <clears throat> and, and shows them that, yeah, you can be more than what you are. Mm-hmm. He does that for both uh Liz and Hellboy. Yeah, yeah. Um something else too is uh now this is a little funny bit of trivia, but his line, his great line when he's when he's confessing to her and he says, look, I, and he's like, I'll promise you two things. And he says, one, I'll always look this good. That was actually <laughs> something Guillermo del Toro said to his future wife. Uh because she was complaining about how he he dresses very casually and he says, look, I'll always look this good. <laughs> <laughs> And apparently, um, when um, Del Toro and Mignola were discussing the who to cast, like they they were sitting down in a meeting and they said, "Okay, let's reveal at the same time who we would think is the perfect choice for Hellboy." And they both said Ron Perlman. Yeah, I mean, you look. I mean, I was watching this movie and really I was saying to myself, I, I was, you know, cause I usually try to come up with, well, who could play this role now? Well, they tried it with David Harbour and mm-hmm. that didn't work. And I think that that's why there has not ever been, or even though I've heard that Ron Perlman said that he wouldn't mind coming back. Well, Ron Perlman, so, he was asked to come back actually, but he refused because Del Toro wasn't involved. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. If Del Toro wasn't involved. And you know what? There really is no point in making a Hellboy movie if you don't have those two guys together. Because right. Especially because they, they're still around. They still want to do it. So there's no reason not to do it. Well, you know what? It's the studios. Because... Yeah. And also, you got to remember something else. Del Toro, while we love him to death, mm-hmm. this is a guy that really doesn't have a track record of making blockbuster box office hits. And in Hollywood, that's really what counts. Now, me, I loved his last, uh, what, what was the last thing? Crimson Peak? Uh-huh. Yeah, I loved that movie. That was like the best Hammer horror movie not made by Hammer. You know, he makes these fantastically detailed movies that are so incredibly visual, 
but he doesn't make box office hits. That's why they wouldn't give him the budget to do. He wanted to do his dream project, Lovecraft's at the Mountain of Madness. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, they you, said, you well, know, I thought this movie was a lot more successful than it was, but you're right. It had a budget of 66 million. It made just under a hundred million. Yeah, it wasn't. A, yeah, a, a lot of people think that this was this big box office hit. No, it wasn't. Hellboy was not a big box office hit. Delta. And, uh, and well, yeah. the the second one though, he had, they gave him a higher budget for the second one. They gave him 85 million, and the second one actually made almost 170 million at the box office. But still, yeah. you know, it's not like Avengers money. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, he. I mean, his movies make enough money that they could say, okay, well, here, we're going to give you money to make another... But, like you said, they're not going to give him uh, Infinity War money, right? you right. know, to make a movie. You know, they're not going to do that. Well, which of course, is what there was he, also um, 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 Pacific Rim. Like, that That made a ton of money. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Yeah, but what happened to the sequel? They took that away from... I, yeah, I, I don't know why know, they would... I still have no idea what happened with that movie. You know, I hear so many conflicting stories, you know. I mean, it's, at that point, you know, why are you even calling it Pacific Rim? Because you had, like, none of the characters from the original one. You didn't have Del Toro back again. So you should have just made an original um, uh, kaiju robot movie instead. Which, for all intents and purposes, it really is. Mm-hmm. It really is its own thing. It's it's not a sequel to, you know, the first one. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Del Toro he has a loyal following, and I actually think that he should go the route of some of his fellow filmmakers, such as Spike Lee, and uh, especially Martin Scorsese, mm-hmm. and go to Netflix because Netflix has shown that they'll give a filmmaker, listen, here's a blank check, go make what you want to make. Yeah, I would love to see him do something like that. Yeah, and just, and I mean, you know, do that because, uh, you know, studios, I did hear that there was a studio would, you know, uh, that they were going to give him the budget he wanted for At the Mountains of Madness, but it had to be a PG-13 movie. And he said, no, this has got to be R. Yeah. And they said, nah, 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 we, you know, we're not going to give you all this money, you know, to make an R movie that, you know, may not make its money back. Right. It's got to be PG-13. And he walked away from the deal. But if you, I bet you, if he went to Netflix, and when the, Netflix would probably back up, said, listen, how big is your front yard? Or why? Because <laughs> we're going to back up dump trucks and just dump money on your lawn until you say stop. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a good point. I would love to, he should do something for Netflix. Yeah. Or, um, and, you know, it's too bad Mignola doesn't have the rights to, to the movie rights to Hellboy anymore because I bet if he had gone, if Del, if Del Toro and Mignola went to Netflix and said, hey, we want to do Hellboy 3 with Ron Perlman and everyone else back again, I'm sure Netflix would say yes in a heartbeat. I'm, matter of fact, I am positive, given the track. I remember reading an article with Martin Scorsese mm-hmm. where he was talking about the Irishman. Martin Scorsese said he's been in the business for 40 years. He said every time he went to a studio and he was negotiating for a movie in the budget or whatever, they always tried to talk him down. Well, can't you do this cheaper? Can't right. you do this cheaper? He said Netflix was the first time in 40 years that he went to a studio, gave him the budget. They didn't argue about it. Mm-hmm. 
They just said, here's the check, go make your movie. And apparently, um, looking back through this, like the, the studios did, um, they wanted to have like, a, they had a lot of demands about, they had like wanted to change a lot of stuff in the, about Hellboy for this, for before they started filming. Um, like they, one idea was to make him be a human who transforms into Hellboy when he gets angry, kind of like a Hulk thing. Another yeah. was that he came from hell, but he was actually, a, he actually looked like a normal human. And Del Toro just said, no, fuck you, we're doing it this way. Yeah, see what and, I mean? And, you know, good on him for having the balls to stand up to the studio heads about that. Because it's not like he was, he wasn't Del, Guillermo Del Toro as we think of him today, back then. But he still had the, he still stood his ground on all that stuff. Well, he made this after Blade too, right? Yeah, but still, like, that was, like, his biggest thing. He still wasn't, like, you know... He wasn't as big as he is now. Like, he didn't have, like, Shape of Water and Pacific Rim and all that under his belt. But, but however, he did he did have that clock from Blade Two, which he used for this movie. Right. Because in Hollywood, you're only as, as successful as your last movie. And apparently he had also been offered Alien vs. Predator, but, it, and, but he turned it down so that he could do Hellboy instead. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have a blockbuster movie, you pretty much, you know, go in and say, okay, well... I want this, that, and another. Mm. And the studio tell you, yeah, okay, fine, no problem. You can do, you know. So he, you know, so he parlayed that financial success from Blade Two into Hellboy, which I am so glad he did, because that's why we got the movie that we're talking about now that yeah. is so good. Mm -hmm. You know, I, you know, I'm, as I said, I was watching it and I was struck by how fresh this movie's seen. This movie could have been made this year. Mm -hmm. That's how fresh it felt. To it me is, yeah. I mean, like, it. it's not dated at all. No, it's not. No, not at all. And, and you know, every, everything, like the jokes in it work, the, the, the references, they all, they all still work, even, you know, we're talking almost 20 years later. And yeah, everything the special effect, still works. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the special effects still hold up, you know, uh, I mean, um, uh, what else? The set design. Mm -hmm. You know, every aspect of this movie still holds up very well. You know, like I said, I was really struck at how fresh this seemed to me. And you know it's, it's just some incredibly beautiful imagery. I think of the scene where Hellboy, he jumps into the grave because he's going to bring this dead Russian back to life. And it's <laughs> snowing and everything like that. Ivan, I love Ivan. <laughs> oh, it's a gorgeous scene where, you know, Hellboy is in the grave. And I said, wow. Mm -hmm. You know, Del Toro, I mean, his visual style is just simply astounding. That's all I have to say. It's well, there's, speaking of, the, there's also that, um, that image at um, Broom's funeral when Hellboy's standing above and he's looking down. And, you know, and it's raining, yeah. It's raining, it's that, it's that low angle shot, and he's holding the rosary and the crucifix in his hand. And it's yeah. just like that, that contrasting image, it's so good. It's so well crafted. Oh, yeah, I mean... Del Toro, when it comes to visuals, mm -hmm. the man takes a backseat to nobody. No, nobody at all. No. But see, like, unlike some other filmmakers, he's not all about the visual. Like, he's got, you know, this, this sense of story structure, this sense of pacing. He, he, he can do it all, basically. Well, he's a storyteller. He is, yeah. He I is, mean, like, I was know. surprised because I would not have expected that Shape of Water would be as touching a love story as it was. But it, it's, but it's, you know, it's to Del Toro's credit that he's able to mix genres in this way and do it so effortlessly. 
Yeah, I mean, that was a movie that touched people that normally wouldn't go anywhere near that type of subject material. Oh, there were people there were people make uh selling fishman dildos online after that. <laughs> <laughs> you had women fantasizing about being with the fishman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I I mean I would really surprise when okay, when we went to see it in the theater, Patricia said, Oh, well, I want to see this movie everybody's talking about. She because usually Patricia doesn't want to see anything until she hears everybody else talking about it. Mm-hmm. Then she wants to go see it. Right, right. <laughs> so she said she wanted to go see Shape of Water. I said, really? You want to go see that? <laughs> yeah, why? What's wrong with it? I said, no, no. It's just I know the filmmaker and I know what type of movie he makes. You know. Oh, you think you know everything. Okay, mm-hmm. let's go see the movie. All right, fine. We'll go see the movie. Yeah. Go see the movie. Amazingly enough, she loved it, which I did not think that Patricia would enjoy a Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> really, but yeah, and know something about sixty percent of the audience th- that we went to see with was women. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. A lot of women was in there. They went with uh, apparently a lot of women had seen it already and come back to see it and brought their girlfriends to see it. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Interesting. Okay. Um, what else? I wanted to say there was something else I wanted to say about. Hellboy, um, and I just completely lost my train of thought. Um, but anyway, uh, anything else you have to say about this film? Um, only that if you have not seen Hellboy in a while, like me, do yourself a favor. Especially now, it's the summer. We don't have a lot of movies to go to theaters to see. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? Take this opportunity to revisit some old favorites you haven't seen in a while. Right. And Hellboy is a perfect summer movie. Mm-hmm. I, I had a hell of a good time watching this thing. Pun intended. Yeah, <laughs> pun intended. I had a hell of a good time watching this thing. It, it, you know, and the best thing about it is that I hadn't seen it in so long, so they were, I didn't remember everything exactly. So it was like seeing a brand new movie right. in a whole lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, I mean... For the summer, like I said, we don't have a lot of movies. We're not going to the theaters to see it. Take this opportunity to revisit some old favorites and put Hellboy on your list of movies to revisit if you haven't seen it in a while or if you've never seen it, I envy you the opportunity to see it for the first time. Well, I remember what I was going to say now, and it goes back to um, something you were saying about how how well this movie holds up, and and it also ties back to what we were talking about in the beginning, and it's and it's kind of like similar feel tonally to to Ghostbusters. I think just like Ghostbusters, this is going to be one of those timeless movies that people come back to again and again. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you say Ron Perlman, what do most people say? Oh, Hellboy. Right. Yeah. You know, most people say that even now with that. They'll either say Hellboy or they'll they'll say Sons of Anarchy. Right. I found most people say that. But most people who are, you know, geeks and nerds like me and you, we will say, oh, Hellboy. Right, exactly. This is is one of those movies, like you said, I put this in the same class with, like, Ghostbusters, um, um, Streets of Fire, Mm -hmm. uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Buckaroo Banzai. Mm-hmm. The Last Dragon. This is like yeah, one of those. Yeah. This is like one of those types of movies. If you enjoy any of those movies, yeah, you're gonna love Hellboy. Absolutely, yeah. Well said. Okay, so uh, that does it for our discussion on Hellboy. 
that was my pick for this week. So next pick is yours. So you got something ready? Yeah. I thought that we would go back to animation because, uh, and we would go back to Batman because of the recent um, news that uh, Michael Keaton might be coming back to play Batman. Don't even talk to me about that because I do not want to get my hopes up until it's actually confirmed. Yeah, so I was thinking we could either do either because we already did the first Batman. Mm-hmm. We could either do go back to animation and do Batman Year One, which I which is a movie I've been wanting to get to for a long time. Or since we are talking about Michael Keaton, we could do Batman Returns. Okay. Um, Want to do Batman Returns? Uh, which one do you are you feeling more in favor of? Uh, well, since we've got the news about Michael Keaton, let's do Batman Returns. Okay, that sounds good. All right, so let's do um, Batman Returns. Yeah, but I, but I, I only brought a Batman Year One because I've been wanting to do that for a while. And you know, I recently was been on this animation kick. Right, right. Okay, but I'm well, willing to save that for another time, and let's do Batman Returns. Okay, that sounds like a good one. All right, so yeah, uh, next week we'll be doing uh, Batman Returns, which. I mentioned this in the Facebook group, but um, for me, it's, I love that movie. It's a great Tim Burton movie, but as a Batman movie, it, it kind of falls flat. You know what I love about that movie? What's that? It's basically a black and white movie in color. It is. It is. Yeah. Like that, I love the, yeah, that I love was the cinematography. I love the cinematography. Oh, it, it's wow. a great movie. It's just, but like as a Batman adaptation, I think it kind of falls flat, but we'll talk about that more next week. Yeah. We'll get okay. into that later on. All right, so that does it for us this week. Uh, head on over to the Facebook group, Superhero Cinephiles. Uh, just type it in the search bar, it'll pop right up. Uh, join in, um, join in some of the discussion. Uh, also, because of Juneteenth last weekend and because uh, HBO released uh, Watchmen, they made it free for the weekend, I had gone through and um, re-edited our three-part Watchmen series when we covered all nine episodes. And I re-edited it into one like six hour long supercut and posted that up on the feed. So if you didn't listen to our Watchmen coverage, you can go to the, the feed, you can listen to the supercut episode, or just, you know, listen to it again and re-experience the what we had to say about it. And I've already gotten some feedback from people who didn't listen to it the first time around, listen to it, and they they have given me some very positive feedback on it. Thank you guys. Oh, really? Immensely nice. for, yeah, you know. I mean, you know, friends of mine who mm-hmm. usually don't pay attention to anything I do anyway. But, you know, yeah, but because of the whole Juneteenth thing and stuff like that, you know, they listen to it and they say, oh, wow. You know, In fact, it got, of, it got more downloads than our, <laughs> than, our, than our Dr. Mordred episode, which came out right after it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, well, yeah, okay, well, I can, you know what, I can see that. Mm. I am not, you know, I'm not going to take it the wrong way. I can see <laughs> that. Well, it was timely. It is, yeah. Also, yeah. I mean, you know, people, people are still talking about Watchmen, mm. especially now with everything that's going on. They're still talking about Watchmen. You know, it was, it was funny because I re-listened, because after I finished editing and I li- put it on the feed, I, I re-listened the episode myself. And I'm just like, I can't believe we had only done that, like, what, like two months, two or three months ago? Yeah. It I feel like we did that like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I I I I have a hard time really wrapping my brain around the fact that we've been doing this 
for so long. It seemed like we just started doing this. And then mm. I go back and look at I said, wait a minute. We started doing this back in September of last year. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. We're going to have to start talking about what we're going to do for the anniversary show. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's coming up a lot faster than we ever realized, actually. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, for uh, those of you who are listening, if you have any ideas or thoughts about what Perry and I should do for our anniversary show in September, please let us know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's a good thing. So, um, okay. But yeah, and you can go over to the, the Facebook group, join in and start talking and, you know, start sharing suggestions about that. Or you can just always just contact us through the website. Um, a lot of different ways to get in touch with us if you want to. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. We're not hard to find. Yeah. So that does it for us uh, this week. Um, uh, as, as always, you know, stay safe out there. We still got a pandemic cases are going up now. So please be careful out there. Yeah, absolutely. Be careful, be safe, uh, take care of yourself, take care of your families. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we want you around to listen, to continue to listen to us. Right. You know, and, and until next time, you know, watch some good movies, mm-hmm. including Hellboy. And if you've got Batman Returns, watch it in advance, uh, you know, us talking about it next time we get together. Absolutely. All right. That does it for us. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll talk to you next week. Okay, good night and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of Fezleonstudios.com.